Welcome to my podcast. <laughs> the podcast that gets produced behind my desk every day. That's right. You are definitely going to become an outtakes. No matter how bad somebody can treat you, you can be this. You can be that to someone else in yeah. a very short period of time. And just please don't let us do that. Let us always remember that we need you. If we really want to love people, it's we've got to let systems go. This is Amy Fritz, and you're listening to Untangled Faith, a podcast for anyone who has found themselves confused or disillusioned in their faith journey. If you want to hold on to your faith while untangling it from all the things that are not good and true, this is the place for you. Welcome to episode three of Untangled Faith. This is a fun episode for me. In addition to my friends, Jeff and Sarah Owens joining us later on in the episode, Nathan, my husband, is also with me today. And we had a great conversation about gossip and gossip policies and NDAs and their use in Christian organizations. But before we got into that, I wanted to share with him a little bit about how I was feeling emotionally as I was working on last week's podcast. Last working on last week's podcast was harder on me emotionally than I expected it to be. It felt heavy. I knew the story because we lived it that Monday while I was finishing up part two and like reading these articles and reading what different people have said about using other people's sermons, I felt really sad at how pervasive it was. It's just a terrible feeling. You did say that. Yeah, I do actually remember that on talking about just some of the different things that you'd read and that it wasn't as helpful as you'd hoped it would be. Like You know, some like really leading voices arguing for a way of preparing a sermon that just doesn't feel pastoral to me. That just made me sad and mm-hmm. really heavy having hard church experiences and then leaving a faith-based organization that has really let you down and turned out to be not what you thought. You know, we've seen God has taken care of us through all of it. And we've seen the difference between man-made systems and God. But every once in a while, I just think, oh, why is it so bad? The episode came out on Wednesday and I heard back from several friends just that they were touched and grateful for it. That makes it worth it. In between snoring dogs, Nathan and I spent the rest of our conversation discussing gossip and gossip policies. And we referenced a recent article in Christianity Today by Kate Shellnut that I will link in the show notes. We drop into this conversation as I am explaining some of the reservations that I had about the article. It might have given too much latitude, latitude and that it legitimized policies and procedures that can really hurt people. The no gossip policy and the use of NDAs by Christian organizations. It felt like they were attempting to be very balanced in their coverage of it. The things that I was concerned about were raised. And even if the balanced nature of the story made it seem like other parts of it were being presented as being equally valid, I, I feel like that's left to a lot of the readers to kind of 
to look at that and say, okay, both yeah. of these things are presented. I was expecting the article to go a different way. I wasn't expecting it to give so much validity to non-disparagement agreements and to gossip policies. You know, when I got to the end and read it, I thought, well, this is her giving both sides of the argument, like you said. It- and, you know, I did, I left feeling a little bit conflicted because... I wondered if the people that had participated in the article, like to participate in something and then be like, oh, my words are next to something that's sort of giving validity to a policy or procedure that I really feel is abusive. I struggled with that a little bit. I came down to feeling like she's starting a conversation. This is this is what happens when they go bad. And here's an argument from some people that say that they're necessary even though I really wished that argument wasn't there. That NDA is protecting the one that's already more powerful to begin with. I think in a lot of cases that ends up being true. And so that's where I'm kind of torn because I feel like I can understand why it seems like a good idea. But in practice, I've certainly seen a lot of cases where it ends up being far more harmful than, than good. And so it's one of those things where the policy seems to have really good reasons. Right. When it actually gets used, things are far less clean and right and things are messier and then it ends up being this abusive thing. For about seven years, my husband worked for a faith-adjacent organization that had a gossip policy. And that policy stated that positives could be shared with anyone all around, but that negatives could only be shared up to your leader. So when you were under this no gossip policy, did you feel like you should not talk to me about any concerns you had? I think when we first started there, it crossed my mind and I pretty quickly decided that that was dumb. <laughs> Why? Because I, I asked you every time no, you No, no, because home. I need to process it. And, and, and there were there were times where you would you would say, have you talked to your leader about that? Which I need to process verbally. And I think right. that's just part of being me and I'm not unique in that. I need to be able to talk to someone about that. And you were the exception to the rule I decided. So what was the benefit of talking to me instead of just only talking to your your leader at work? Oh, it would have been the leader at work and then also an empty car. That's how I process these things. The leader can't do anything but hear. Yeah. In that, in If that is the policy and negatives only go up, the leader can hear what you're saying, but they really can't help you process it for fear of passing a negative back down. You know, there were sometimes we talked where I would say, you need to talk to your leader about that. And it wasn't because I didn't want you to talk to me. It was because I truly believed it was something that was a big enough issue for you that was bothering you enough. And it wasn't just because I thought it was the right thing to do. It was because I knew you had a really great relationship with your leader and I knew you trusted him completely. And I also trusted him completely. Not everybody at a place that has a no gossip policy has their immediate supervisor who is completely full of integrity and trustworthy. And And I think that that really is the challenge is that it's a good policy as long as that integrity. As long as everyone's good. Extends all the way from you to the top. It has to be integrity filled to every single worker. So I think the thing that jumped out at me the most about the Christianity Today article was where it referenced a passage, I think from 1 Timothy, about Timothy receiving concerns about an elder from three or more people. Well, it was a positive affirmation that if three or more people come, 
you should listen to that. That also means that if no gossip applies to anything negative, there's no way for those three people to have figured out who the others were to be able to come with their concern. So yeah, it makes a lot of sense to me that if there are legitimate concerns about something going on, it does not make sense that a no gossip policy would would stifle those conversations that are really important and have to happen. Right. If you're not allowed to talk about these things, you don't get to have these constructive conversations either. I think the constructive conversation, just just it being constructive in general, is a really, really good call out. Because the heart behind what you're saying or the intent of what you're saying is is very important. But if the goal is to express a concern and try to gauge whether or not you're the only person with that or yeah. try to try to determine whether or not, even if you can't directly affect it, if you need to go and try to find someone who can, constructive intent is like hugely important for determining whether or not something is gossip or is, is just productive conversation. Yeah, or healing for somebody. If somebody has experienced something painful, you don't get to tell someone they don't get to talk about it. You don't shame the victim of the gunshot wound for bleeding on the floor. Yeah. Sometimes it's going to feel uncomfortable when someone's telling their story. Sometimes it's going to feel like you want them to stop talking. I mean, depending on your personality, I'm not saying you personally. Oh, no, definitely me personally. You personally. Is it... Some personalities are going to be like, let's talk about happy things. Like, this is not making me happy, or this doesn't reflect the way I want it to on my church or my organization. We don't get to, I don't think we get to decide for somebody else if they are sharing their pain in a way that is appropriate. Like, tone policing makes me really uncomfortable. And I think that's one of the things with the article is that it's a great idea that the things that we talk about should be done in a way that's aimed towards restoration and should be purposeful and productive. Absolutely. But I think we can only gauge that for ourselves. We can't, we can't put that measurement on someone else because we really don't know. We don't know where their heart is. We do not know how deep that wound is and how it needs to be healed. Uh, Honestly, one of the things that I've had to learn uh, in marriage, uh, it's like one of the first things that's always covered in communication books is that sometimes people just need to say things to be heard and not because they want you to solve the problem. And there are a lot of people like me that hear things and then try to immediately jump to solving a problem. Listening to someone and hearing what they're saying is not the same as echoing that back and spiraling it to a larger and larger thing. It's also not the same thing as hearing it with the intent to solve it right away, be there in that moment and listen to what they're saying, taking it seriously, thinking about it, and maybe offering some constructive help if you can, which is still constructive and restorative, hopefully. If somebody feels validated and like they have actually spoken their piece in a way that is heard, I don't feel like they feel the need to keep bringing it up to you. I think the more somebody brings something up, I think the more likely it is that they have felt like something hasn't been heard yet. There is a reason that the Bible addresses gossip yeah. and that there is a form of gossip that it, that is a step too far. Right. I think that line is nowhere near where it's been painted in churches and in, in places that I've been. Mm-hmm. I think that line is far, far too, too far the other direction to the point of being dangerous to the health of the organization. But, uh, but I do don't want to just like sanction all kinds of negativity of any form and never be able to say this is a problem. Right. But I don't I don't want to jump to that too quickly either. But it may be that there's a point where you need to and if you 
feel really convicted that that's what's going on, be able to yeah. actually address it with a person in a way that hopefully is restorative in that particular situation. Yeah. But not from the sense of like, I'm going to doubt you from, from day one, just because you're like negative. You know, I would err on the side of empathy always. Mm-hmm. I would, I would err on if somebody's coming into your church and they have a story of pain from somewhere they were before, like we were talking about last week with Mary and she said she would hate for pastors to miss, miss out on that, their calling mm-hmm. by dismissing pain. I think erring on the side of actually believing that person's story is true. Most people, they just want someone to affirm and listen to them. As we were talking about empathy and listening to people's stories, I remembered a story from my pastor that I had growing up. And this was also the pastor that did our marriage counseling and married Nathan and I. And that is how we ended up wrapping up our conversation with this bit of levity. I grew up with a pastor who very much was aware that he did not have the gift of mercy. And he joked that he had a sign outside of his his study and that says, you reap what you sow, go talk to Pastor Bill. (laughs) Pastor Bill was the associate pastor who had the gift of mercy. Pastor Tom did not have the gift of mercy. (laughs) Will Pastor Tom listen to this podcast? I don't know. Hi, Pastor Tom. We're doing great. Doing a we podcast. drove all the way across town. We did just so he could counsel us. And he doesn't like counseling, but he did marriage counseling. And every single week he said, did you hear about that study about people, couples that pray together? Every week he asked us if we had heard of that study. I didn't remember that it was every week. I do remember him mentioning At a study. certain point, I'm like, oh, I wonder if he's trying to make a point. Apparently we should ask him that. Click for me. What? Well, I remember the study. I remember that being the point. I just didn't. Are you about to tell the world that you don't pray with me every day? We should pray right I would now. Never say that to the entire world. <laughs> we should pray right now on the podcast. Do you think I'm pretty? I do think you're pretty. <laughs> I am super happy to get to introduce you to my friends, Sarah and Jeff Owens. I met Sarah more than 20 years ago through a mutual friend. In my conversations with them, I've learned that if anyone wears the title of Wounded Resistor well, it's the Owens. I asked them to share their story with you. Sarah starts by sharing a bit of her own background. For me, I think my parents had a real authentic faith. It was true and sincere, and I just don't even remember a time that I didn't love Jesus or wasn't raised to love him and to see him as lovely, to understand his heart for me, his heart for people. Sarah's parents chose to homeschool them. Because my dad lacked a father figure in his life, I think he was always kind of looking for like a system that would tell him, this is how you raise a godly family. Looking for a group that he could join that would tell him, this is what you do to get the result you want. That's how Sarah ended up in a homeschool program affiliated with Bill Gothard. Her family didn't buy into the entire package of legalism, but they did attend conferences and Sarah took several trips with Gothard's Advanced Training Institute, ATI. So as a teenager, and I started seeing these things that were very disturbing in my travels with this ATI homeschool group, really disturbing things that made no sense to me. I went to Taiwan three different times with them. I think it was the last trip. So getting to the place where I was so disillusioned with, they didn't want, like on the bus that we would be traveling around, like a girl couldn't sit by a boy in a seat. It was better that you just stood up 
than for someone on the outside to look in the window of the bus and see a male and a female sitting beside each other. Wow. What insanity. The guy that was like the director of my team, like made a rule that girls could only wear nude color nylons because anything else was distraction. I'm like, you are out of mind. Did you keep it to yourself or did you tell oh, them? I, oh, I kept it to myself. This does not make sense. And there was something wrong with that guy. Something's not right with him. As she shared, Sarah explained how her parents had given her space to buck the Bill Gothard rule system. And after graduating from high school, Sarah went to her local university in Ames, Iowa. I remember seeing this guy walking around campus and he was in my math class and he always smelled like weed. I mean, you could tell he was just stoned. And it was like, I heard the Holy Spirit say, I love him as much as I love you. That was a real awakening for me that I thought, okay, I have been climbing this spiritual ladder that leads to nowhere. And that is what the Institute, the ATI homeschool program taught me. Like that's what the system taught you. You don't listen to rock music. You dress a certain way, you whatever, whatever, to climb the spiritual ladder to where God's love for me is no different than this like stoned guy walking around campus. I have, I have it wrong. Just so grateful that the Holy Spirit impressed that on me at that age, at like 18, because I think that was the formation for me of tearing down the systems, of seeing the flaw in systems. Jeff's upbringing was also atypical since his parents spent time as missionaries in South Korea. I never was in a system. I mean, I was, but it was very different. It was always getting exposed to new things and in different cultures and different ways. He explained that his church experience with the international community was unlike anything he'd ever experienced in the U.S. He was able to spend a significant amount of time surrounded by people with different cultural backgrounds and theological heritages. From there... He went to the university where he met Sarah. And then I came back to the States. By that point, I felt like an outsider being a third culture kid. You were not soaked in like the American evangelical church culture growing up. Our church history wasn't typical either. Sarah and Jeff got married and they had a long-term dream of serving together in China. But as was their custom, they chose a non-traditional route. We both really felt called to serve in China. We went to Bethlehem Baptist, which is John Piper's church. And we were eventually sent from their, that church as missionaries. Again, we never do things typical. We didn't go with a, a missions organization. We just got a job with a uh, 501c3 nonprofit. That we, there was some tension, I think, with Bethlehem, like not wanting to support us, not with like a, a name mission organization. But we just felt like it was safer just for getting visas to China to not be linked with the missions organization. The doors opened for us to work with this organization. Yeah. Yeah, it seemed really obvious. Yeah, I mean, we'd been praying for you know, over five years. And then suddenly it was kind of this position with this nonprofit is dropped in our laps. We kind of had to go fight for it a bit with the the missions board. Well, and I, we were prepared to just say. The Owens were so convinced God was calling them to China that they knew they were going to get there one way or another. We're going to go anyway. That attitude, I think, is what leads to like calling out abuse or like, uh, no, I'm not having it. You're not God to me. I think that's kind of the foundational thing that we have experienced, no matter what church, no matter what organization. Looking back, I I can see 
attempted spiritual abuse all over. But I, I didn't have the language to call it that, but I knew that wasn't God. And I knew I ought to obey God rather than man. I, I, I was going to do what I felt like God wanted me to do, not what other people thought I should do. As Sarah shares their story, I'm struck over and over how time and distance have given her a chance to process their experiences. She shifts easily from telling the details of their experience to zooming out like a narrator, giving some meaning to what they experienced. Yeah, so they they did wind up yeah. uh, somewhat reluctantly sending us. But not without first jumping through some hoops with their home church missions committee. During the process, they were given a shocking message. They said, like, if we don't approve you, we won't even pray for you. I feel like that was one of the first times when I really felt like I was hearing something really wrong, but couched in spiritual language. Like, yeah. you know, we want to be able to support you well. We want to we want to fully support you. So we either need to be able to fully support you or just release you. Reluctantly, Sarah and Jeff were given approval and they were on their way to China. They soon discovered that many of their unusual experiences in their growing up years had helped prepare them for intercultural ministry. That really gave us a foundation for just being able to be perceptive and of the culture and of team relationships and dynamics. And Jeff grew up, grew up overseas and I grew up in a different than average family. So we both weren't normal and didn't have like, this is going to be just like America expectations because we didn't even know what that was. That, While the Owens were eagerly engaging in their new life in China, the team they joined was feeling especially threatened by them. Sarah and Jeff had previously studied Chinese, they had intercultural experience, and they had been able to hit the ground running much easier than some of their teammates. They asked us to be in charge of all guests. They got a lot of groups that would come over to China in the summer. They would want to like make donations. They asked us when we came to be in charge of hospitality but I, we did it too well. And so they didn't also, they also didn't like that. Yeah, and there was a lot of that where they would say like, we want you guys to take care of this because we don't want to deal with it. Then we would start doing it. And all of a sudden they'd be like, you know, we don't want you doing it that way. After three and a half years with this nonprofit, things only got worse. In addition to the interpersonal issues, they observed misuse of funds that greatly concerned them. But the nonprofit's interference with the Owens' attempt to adopt a child was a final straw. They knew they needed to cut ties. But that was just another experience of like being spiritually abused. Um, and Or maybe they tried to make it spiritual. They weren't very good at the spiritual part. It was more just like emotional abuse. They were given counsel from their church in Beijing and advice from the missions pastor at their home church in Minnesota. So we just said, we're going to leave. <laughs> Well, we're going to step down from the organization. We wrote a letter to the organization. We printed it. We asked for a meeting and we- Well, we went to the weekly yeah, that's like what staff was. meeting. Yeah, it was the and, weekly staff meeting. But we told them we were going to, we had something to talk about there. <laughs> and I think we had told them before that we were going to step down, but we, we wrote a letter about our concerns, printed it out and handed it out at the meeting. Not, not really even our concerns, but just why we were leaving. Like we weren't accusing them of anything, but we just wanted it to be clear. During their time working with this nonprofit, Jeff and Sarah had discovered that there were many former employees of this nonprofit that lived in their area. Many had come and gone before they arrived in China, but there was never any reason given for why they left. 
we're very intentional. We said we want to leave well, which doesn't mean we don't tell our story. And, you know, we let people in our organization know this is why we're leaving. But we also tried to say, but we want to do this as peacefully as possible. Uh, But you would never really hear the truth about what happened. Why did they leave? Like you couldn't pull it out of anyone to really dissect what, what, what happened here? What went on? After we had lived there enough, we understood, but we want, didn't want that to be our case because we weren't planning on leaving China. We had, at the time, two Chinese foster kids that had been living with us since like six months after we moved there. We were planning to adopt them. There was no way we were just going to leave. You know, we were staying in China. We were staying in our house. This was an uncertain time for them. Go pass it out at the local village. I don't care. Like, I want people to have the real story so that rumors aren't getting spread that, you know, like just people know the truth. Mm -hmm. I didn't have the language to understand all the abuse that had happened. I I didn't know that's what you call it. I just felt crazy. Like that's, that was three years of feeling like, am I losing my mind? And it was, I mean, that, that time was scary because when we left, we didn't know what we were going to do. We just felt like God was saying it's time to leave but where are we going? Cause we're not leaving the country. We can't leave the country. We need, we have these kids that aren't legally ours yet. You know, they can't travel with but us. Like they don't know any other family than us. Right. So Jeff was unemployed, but as luck would have it, someone he met in Beijing was starting a business. This man had his own story of a painful ending with a former employer and he was eager to begin a new venture. But he told me I have this grand idea for this company I'm going to start. And he laid out all of his business plan and he had this partner that he was going to do and they were going to raise venture capital. And he said, I want you to come in. I want you to run all of our IT. So I talked to him quite a bit about it. And I told him, you know, here's my strengths and my weaknesses. And, you know, I'm going to really need help in these areas because I've never done like this side of IT before. And, and he's like, yeah, yeah, you know, I've got your back. And come and work for me for, I think it was initially six months or something. And then we're going to have the venture capital and then you'll start, I'm going to give you this big of a stake in the company. And also you're going to get like paid this much. And so I was like, all right. And uh, yeah, it sounded like too good to be true, but yeah. And it turned out to be too good to be true. (laughs) But a lot of time I'd come in and I'd be like, okay, you know, planning out, like, here's what we need from an IT perspective. And he's like, okay, but we're not ready for any of that. And I'm like, what do you want me to do? It was, in fact, too good to be true. Things fell apart quickly. The Owens were living off their savings because they weren't getting paid. I kept asking him, I was like, can we sign a contract? It's better for both of us if we have all of our expectations and everything laid out. He kept saying, yeah, 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 good idea. We'll do that. We'll do that. Never did it. Jeff decided to have a serious conversation with his boss. He suggested a staggered schedule of being paid over time once the business started making a profit. What I'm asking is, if the business starts profiting and making money, could you, can you over time and you can, we, you can work out a schedule with us, however you want to do it. Can you pay me, you know, basically the amount of money that I had had to spend over that year? He immediately turned around and, and started making all the same accusations against me that his organization had made against him about you're only in this for the money. And I mean, it got scary actually. Like, All of the hurtful experiences this man had with his former employer, he turned around and did the same thing to Jeff. Sarah told me they learned how easy it was for hurt people to turn around and hurt others. 
okay, like no matter how bad somebody can treat you, you can be you can, this, you can be that to someone else in yeah. a very short period of time. And just please don't let us do that. Like let us always remember that we need you. If we really want to love people, like it's we've got to like let systems go. Don't let us do that. As if that wasn't enough to process, their home church missions pastor reached out to them at some point to let them know he was uncomfortable with the fact that they were no longer with the organization they originally went to work with. This pastor told them that their family needed to come back to the States, which was a huge problem for the Owens. They were in the middle of adopting several of their Chinese foster children, and leaving was not an option. This is verbatim what they said. Send your kids back to the orphanage and come home. And we said, well, we could come back for like a, maybe a month, like a few weeks. We'd come back for a month. Like if you want to, they wanted us to like find a different organization and go back with the, another sending organization. But we said, we will never do that. Thanks for making it easy. No. What kind of example would we be of Christ and his love to send our kids back to the orphanage? Like, how can you say that? We tried to explain these kids have been traumatized by being abandoned. We can't do that to them a second time. You know, that would destroy them. And they were like, well, you either send them back or you don't have any tie with us anymore. And we basically have to choose. You're going to cut ties. Right. And that's that's when we said, well, thank you for making this (laughs) an easy choice. They turned to their pastor at their international church in Beijing. And through that time, God was really faithful to us through our church in Beijing, this like mm-hmm. um, the Christian, the Beijing Christian fellowship. And we had been helping with starting this church plant and our pastor at the time, the guy that was kind of discipling us and leading that was a completely different denomination than we had ever grown up in. Like we were told, especially at Bethlehem, like this is a organization that you watch out for. Like, and then all these years, Still to this day, probably, I can't think of anyone that counseled us and that walked through hard stuff with us in our lives in a more Christ-like way than that guy Mm -hmm. and his wife. Sarah and Jeff made their decision. They told their church in the States that they weren't coming home. And then God showed up. I mean, in really big, powerful, amazing, miraculous ways Mm -hmm. over. And it's not like it was easy. I mean, there were times we didn't have enough money to buy gas to drive in to church, or I didn't have enough money to buy meat that week, but that's okay. You don't have to have meat and you don't have to drive into Beijing. And it was a time of like really trying to work through what does the Bible mean when it says, I will provide for all your needs. Like Mm -hmm. my visa is due and I don't have the money to pay for it. I mean, I went through all the process to renew them, but they're just sitting down there at the station and I can't go pick them up because I don't have the money. Or, you know, just if, if that is God's word to me, it's also his word to these children dying in the orphanages. I will provide for all your needs. Well, it we have a I have a completely wrong idea of what that means. Because in my American mindset, it means there should always be all the food I want at the table. I should have enough money to pay all my bills on time. That's not what God means. That's not at all what that means. So it took experiences like that to really begin to grapple with so many things that are are questions in and outside of the church, um, but that the church isn't forced to deal with. The American church isn't forced to deal with. While Jeff and Sarah shared their story with me, it was clear to me that their strong relationship and their deep respect for each other played a huge role in all of this. 
whenever any of these kinds of things have happened, it's like we have always been together in it. And that's kind of one of the big things that's helped us through is that we've always been able to kind of cling to one another when everything else felt like it was falling apart. Yeah. It felt like just huge grace to us, you know, like living in the United States, being a part of church. And I think being a part of just the families that we were and the dynamics that we grew up in wasn't typical. And, and that was helpful. But but being in a different country, like China, and then having all your comforts and all like the, the things that you felt like should support you, the systems that should support you, the churches, the organizations, the all of it falling apart, what is your faith built on? You know, is your faith built on the sand, which is the church, or is it built on the solid rock of Christ himself? Great question. <laughs> One thing I add to that is looking at it, and we, we talked about it even at the time, but looking back on it, especially, you can see God kind of leading us through things that were preparing us mm-hmm. for the hard things mm-hmm. because just going, being part of that international church plant we were part of. I mean, there were people there from literally everywhere. I mean, yeah. they're Europe and South America and Africa and Asia and all kinds of cultural and theological backgrounds. And they were all coming together. There are people who believe really different things from us, but they are believers. Yeah, they love Jesus. And, and it's evident like that you can see the Holy Spirit at work in and through them. Yeah. It doesn't matter what their denomination is or what their church platform is or yeah. any of this stuff or whether they speak in tongues or don't speak in tongues or see the power of the Holy Spirit at work in ways we had never seen yeah. before was, was really transforming. What are the things as a church that we have to cling to tightly? Like, I will not let go of this. This is the core of what it means to love Jesus. And then what are the things we hold loosely and say, I believe this, but you might disagree. And that's okay. We can still get together on Sunday and worship. We can still eat together and and we can still go out and minister together. And we really had to wrestle through things that we used to think were like, no, this is something I hold on to. Realize (laughs) that set of things is a lot smaller than we thought it was. I think that was helpful when we were going through the hard times was we knew what was at the core of what we clung to. It makes it a lot easier to hold on (laughs) when you've already kind of had to boil it down to the bare basics. So how were they able to avoid being cynical after all of that? But you're not cynical at this point. You feel like you were cynical or do you feel like you still like, you knew the difference between what was really church and really faith and what was I, I didn't, I don't think we were cynical. I think I, and I still hope we're not, but I can feel it coming on with my age. <laughs> um, I, I think we were just, God showed up for us. We yeah. saw him repeatedly yeah. do amazing things. Like that little girl that we wanted to adopt, that they were working hard against us to not get. Yeah. She just walked through the room 10 minutes ago. Like we got her in amazing, astronomically mind blowing ways. And I just tell you one little testimony because I love it so much that Sarah went on to tell me a story that I don't want you to miss. She shared about how they had been attempting to adopt three children at one time while they were in China. No easy feat in China. By this time, if you know anything about Sarah Owens, you know, not to easily counter out when she is going after something that she feels strongly that the Lord has called her to do prayed and fasted for a week, trying to figure out what we're going to do here about this little girl situation. We just felt like at at the end of that week, 
we were just going to go for it. We were going to adopt all three kids at one time, totally against the policy of the government of China. They don't, we had, we had space in their policy to adopt one child. God gave us the verse that says, I am God. I have spoken and I will do it. I have purposed. It's an Isaiah. I've purposed. It's Isaiah 46 or something. I've purposed and I'll bring it to pass. That was, that was the verse that we clung to. I am God and there is no other. I'm God and there's none like me. I've purposed and I will do it. The Owens got their miracle. They were able to adopt all three of those children at one time. And we came back to the United States and uh, the first Sunday we went back to Bethlehem and that was our church. And so, uh, Mary Jane, our little girl at that point was in kindergarten. And I took her to the kindergarten Sunday school class. And at the end of Sunday school, they hand them all out these memory verse cards. And the memory verse for that week was that verse. And, and this was the phrase that gets kindergarten, right? I am God. And there is none like me. I have purposed and I will do it. I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. And I almost like fell dead on the floor. I mean, it was like, I was slain in the spirit because here was, it could have been any verse with any kid in any class. You know, it was like God was saying directly to me four years later, I told you, you know, I purposed and I will do it. I've spoken and I will bring it to pass. Here you are at Bethlehem with your little girl. This is her verse. Well, I think the other thing too was early on in our years there, God gave us Psalm 37, where it talks about how fret not because of the wicked man who you see like profiting in his way, like in a little while, he won't be there. Um, Just to not be, not to fret, to be, not be anxious, to just. I remember though, very clearly this couple, they were there one day and the next day they were gone. And we were like, it happened. (laughs) Psalm 37 happened. The wicked man is here today and tomorrow he is no more. The Owen story is staying with me because it's not just one dramatic account. It's a series of difficult situations, and over the years, they show where they had the opportunity to see the difference between man-made systems and God. And through all of the times the systems let them down, God remained faithful. We wrapped up this part of our conversation talking about personality types, and I couldn't help but laugh at this comment from Sarah, and I have to include it. I think it puts the perfect bow on this conversation. Here's Sarah in her own words. I am who God made me to be. You know, I somebody has to drive the tent peg through the evil person, right? <laughs> you know? Thanks for listening to episode three of Untangled Faith. If you enjoyed this episode, I would be so grateful if you would share it with a friend and leave a review on iTunes. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook as Untangled Faith. For transcripts and show notes, check out untangledfaithpodcast.com. On the next episode of Untangled Faith. I really felt like the Holy Spirit said to me in that moment, uh, just watch me. You know, like, okay. It wasn't like a clue, like I'm going to do something amazing, you know, but like, just watch and see what I'm, what I'm going to do here. It definitely was not anything like we imagined. (laughs) What he did do was nothing like we thought. He was not wrong. Yeah. (laughs)